if we can find the energy to make somebody else laugh or to recognize somebody else that's burned out, I think we can help ourselves through the process. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups will enter their 14th season at the start of next year, and there's sure to be a powerful experience for everyone involved. But don't take my word for it. Here is a testimonial from Troy, shared toward the end of his time in the 2022 summer session. I actually woke up thinking about this. And, and I just have to say that um, I think that the, the, the feel and the air and, and the, just the whole vibe in our house has changed. Every time we finish one of these sessions, it's almost like I feel closer to my kid. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. He's not even uh, there. Right. And I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. And it's like I always want to just, just want to go and, and, and hug him after we finish these sessions. Um, I also feel that you have given me permission um, to just like, chill out a little bit with being uh, with being a parent um, and just give him space and give him room just be a little bit more accepting. And so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I also I'm just sort of like in in awe of just uh, how wonderful uh, a father he must be. And that certainly has an impact on me. Again, just uh, I, I really, really enjoy these sessions, and I get a lot out of out of them for sure. The groups begin on Monday, January twenty third, and will run for eight weeks, meeting on Mondays and Wednesdays at twelve p.m. Eastern. More information can be found at adhdessentials.com/parentgroups. I'm sure they can help you, like they've helped so many others. And don't forget to check out our partner podcasts. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, and ADHD Diversified with MJ. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to David Greenwood. David is the author of Overcoming Distraction and Overcoming Burnout. David talks to us about burnout. We discuss the causes of burnout, different kinds, including professional and caregiver burnout, and David gives us tips for both managing and avoiding it. All right. Let's get rolling. I am Dave Greenwood. I am the author of Overcoming Distractions, Thriving with Adult ADHD. You were a big help in uh, the beginning of my book writing journey. I have a podcast by the same name, as I just mentioned. And then these past few months, I published a book called Overcoming Burnout which is a street smart approach to recovering from uh, and preventing burnout in the future. And I, I say street smart because there are experts in the book, but I really took great care into making sure that people understood uh, that there were people in the book that they could relate to. And it wasn't a clinical book. 
nothing wrong with a street smart book. They are just as important as clinical books in my mind. We want to make sure stuff is backed up by research and things, but but getting the stories of people boots on the ground, that stuff matters. No, and I was talking to uh, I was talking to somebody the other day who's reading the book, and uh, we hopped on Zoom, and she goes, "I swear to God, I feel like you are stalking me as I'm reading this book," you know, and I think that's a good thing because <laughs> because people can, you know, I I wrote the book because I. Um, you know, I didn't want a clinical book and I couldn't find the book that I wanted to read. So I felt I had to write it um, after going through burnout. And, and, and I know people can relate to the people in there in the various industries and careers that they went through. Let's start with what is burnout? Well, it's complex. And if you get on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or what have you, you, you can see all types of entries and discussions about burnout. Um, but but my, my first answer to the question is, is it is complex, but at its core, it's, you know, physical and mental, mental exhaustion. Um, it's checking out. It's, uh, for those in the ADHD world, it's, it's very taxing on the executive functions. So it, it limits your ability to actually get work done or get it done without mistakes. Um, you become cynical, you become resentful. Um, you begin to stop doing the things that you used to enjoy, everything from gardening to golfing to going to sporting shows to going out with friends. So, um, so burnout can, can actually look very different uh, depending on what you're going through and who you are. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the gist of it is just we've been experiencing too much stress, too much anxiety for too long, and now I just can't anymore. Is that sort of the gist of it? Yeah, but I go through two instances of burnout that, that I went through and they were very different. Um, one was in the restaurant business where I didn't even know it was burnout at the time. I was young. I was just exhausted. I couldn't take the punishing world of working in the restaurant business anymore. Um, I ended up lying on the floor in a pool of blood and you can read that. Should have went to the emergency room, but I didn't. But But my second burnout was actually running what I still run today, it's a variation of it, was, was, you know, my public relations firm. I was a media relations guy, meaning that I was the guy that used to pick up the phone and call the TV station or the business reporter or what have you. And I would put the CEO um, or the founder of the company in the TV studio, in the radio studio, that type of thing. That was my niche. Um, but then some knucklehead invented social media and it began to drastically change the direction of the public relations industry. It fundamentally changed the uh, the industry um, in in a whole a host of ways. Uh, but one very important or significant way was the the things that PR professionals had to do, and it was you know craft and manage social media and things like that. And it's not the business that I signed up for. I didn't care for it. I loved what I did before. Uh, I love the reaction that a, a CEO would get after I got them, you know, on a TV show or something like that. And and I was worth the money that they were paying me. But it got to the point where I pivoted so much. I was basically, my head was spinning. And it all came down to the digital public relations, which is social media. And I didn't really care for it. You know, you you can be in a job where you're overworked and you're in a toxic culture. 
or you can be a person that just doesn't like what you do for work anymore. Maybe your industry changed. And that was my kind of second bout of burnout. I didn't like what I was doing anymore. My burnout is from an even another angle. It was COVID. Like COVID burned me out, right? Because we had to make a decision about what to do with the boys and school. Are they going to go virtual? Are they going to go part-time or whatever that sort of hybrid model was? Am I going to homeschool them? Are we just going to like throw our hands up in the air and cry? Like, what's the plan? And the decision that my wife and I came to was, I used to be a sixth grade English teacher. I'm licensed to teach uh, English and history at the middle school level and the high school level. But I've taught at the sixth grade level. My kids were going into sixth grade. To me, it was a no brainer. I'll just teach them. That way, we're not as concerned about COVID, where there's going to be less exposure, less risk. We didn't know what was going on at the time. I'll be honest. I was pretty anxious about COVID because I have asthma, heart disease runs in my family, and I have ADHD. And COVID seems to be attacking, at the time, respiratory stuff, cardiovascular stuff that we were seeing. And it was attacking the brain, right? With brain fog and executive function challenges. And I was like, <laughs> this thing damages the stuff I'm already weak at. Like, I don't need to do that. <laughs> like I can, I'm happy to not get this. <laughs> I don't need any more brain fog. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we shut it down pretty hard. And once the vaccines came out, like we're super vaccinated and I've, I've been four of them at this point. Um, so we're much more loose with things than we were. But when we had to make that decision, I was like, all right, we'll homeschool. Like I'll figure it out. And there was also some school anxiety that was going on there, in in yeah. there somewhere, um, which I'll talk about more in episode 250. I think I think my kids are going to be willing. Well, my kid is going to be willing to tell the tale of what was going on. That I've hinted at stuff, but I haven't said anything. So probably episode 250 is when that comes out. Yeah, yeah. But so we had some. I had a lot of burnout. I had a lot of stress. I was I shoved my clients to the morning and to the late afternoon. I homeschooled my kids in the middle of the day, so it was client, maybe two, then homeschooling, then client, maybe two, right? And parent groups mm. and the podcast for a year and a half, two years, right? Like it nonstop, go, go, go. And then they went back to school for seventh grade and I was tapped. I was done. I was burnt out. And, and then some of that anxiety that was coming around started to show itself even more because the boys were in school. They had more variables. They had more things to be concerned about. Um, it wasn't just the home base stuff. It was other kids in school and the expectations of teachers and all that stuff that added to their stress, which added to my stress. And during all of this, my dad has cancer. He's 78, 9, 79 years old. I was also driving him to chemotherapy once a week for a lot of that stretch. It was a lot. Like It was a lot to carry um, basically the COVID stuff stopped and I got some time to myself. And as soon as that happened, I was taking my dad to chemotherapy instead of all the time that I was spending with my kids. Sandwich generation, like I said, hit me really hard. So I know your book is about career burnout, but caregiver burnout is in there too. So can we maybe play with both of those? Yeah, there is. There's career burnout, there's caregiver burnout, and sometimes they smash into each other. You could be working your butt off in a career. Um, you could have those obligations at home and you just become exhausted and depleted. Let's remove the career burnout for a second and just caregive a burnout alone. And I know you, you do the parenting groups. So 
I imagine you see that all the time where there's parents out there and they're probably listening now where they just, they don't know where to turn to next. They can't give up on their kids. They, they have to be there, but they're just burned out. That's probably going to be my next book is, is talking about caregiver burnout because as, as we were talking earlier, you can walk away from a job. I mean, it might not be financially smart for you to do so, but you can quit unless you have a contract or something. You can't walk away from your kids. You can't walk away from your aging parents. There's, there's a responsibility that you've got to learn how to manage. Um, you know, I, I went through a similar circumstances that, the, that you just described where my father is getting older. Uh, there were additional responsibilities that my brother and I had to take on. I had a son starting a new school at the dining room table. So that was convenient, right? And the, all these things were colliding. And then there were, you know, the doctor's appointments. I learned, I guess probably it took me a little longer to figure out than, than I care to admit, but I had to take charge of the situation. As a caregiver, you need to take charge. For my father, for example, I make the doctor's appointments. So I call and I make the doctor's appointments because if he makes a doctor's appointment and say it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I have to go get him and pick him up and drive him there and drive and grab him back and get back home, I've trashed, I'm not going to say wasted, I've, you know, I've trashed in almost five or six hours, you know, versus me calling the doctor and say, give me the absolute last appointment in the day, you know, things, the little things like that, that if there's people listening out there that are just don't know where to turn, you've got to get creative and actually take charge of the situation. I know that sounds simplistic, but that kind of needs to be your overarching goal. I've got a great ADHD example of that from today. My kids needed a dentist appointment. The dentist called and was like, hey, we got to deal with some braces stuff. How's this time? And I was like, I've been meaning to call them and keep ADHDing it because things are still a little bananas at my house. We're coming down from a lot of stress. And I was like, sure. Yeah. Tuesday at 1030. Fantastic. Right. Like, that's great. Didn't even think about it. I was just like, great. This is done. But I didn't take charge. So that meant that my kids came out of school in the middle of the day. And one of my sons had another appointment at 2.30 today that meant I had to take him out like at 2.15, which is right before school ends. I'm looking at my day and I'm like, oh man, for context, tomorrow I fly to Texas for the ADHD conference, which is a big looming thing in my world and top priority. So I was like, Oh, I, if I had taken charge, I probably could have placed that dentist appointment better. But instead I like picked my kids up at 10 o'clock today from school and was like, and you're home. I do not have time to drive you back and then pick you up again. Like it doesn't, it's not a thing that I can pull off. So because of that two thirty appointment or because of the 10 30 appointment, depending on how you want to look at it, my kids missed like a couple of hours in the middle of the day today because I didn't, I didn't have the space in my day or my executive functions to juggle pick them up, drop them off, pick them up over the course of the day. No. And, and to be selfish for a moment, you probably got absolutely nothing done today, correct? No, I got everything done. No, but I'm saying, you know, business-wise or, or other responsibilities. I got everything done. Wow. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Because I'm the other way around. See, if 
I need I need a long runway. You know, mm-hmm. I do a lot of writing. So the, the 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 you know me doing corporate writing and what have you pays the bills. But I can't work for a half hour here and twenty minutes here, and and I I certainly can't come back uh, after. Uh, an appointment that took me five hours to to make happen, just go sit down at my desk and go, great, I'm going to work. It doesn't happen for me. I need a long runway. I need flow, which I know you and I have talked about as well. And that's a different thing though, right? Like I'm I'm not arguing. If I was trying to do deep work, no way would I have gotten deep work done today. Yeah. I leave for a conference tomorrow. Today is not a day for deep work. Today is a day for dotting I's and crossing T's, right? So yeah. today was like, go to the bank and put that money in that your client finally paid you. Pick up your pants that had to get hemmed. I even fit in time to buy a birthday present for Jessica McCabe, who I will see tomorrow. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> like I managed to to throw a couple of extra things in too. And I even squeezed quality time with my kids in there, except they didn't want to have any. So they were like, no, we're going to, we're going to goof around on our iPads. We don't want to go out to lunch. And I was like, okay, cool. The only thing I haven't done is finished packing for the trip, Ah, but we'll be done in like a little while. And I'll pack after that. I forget who I was talking to, but years ago, this is, this is totally a side side story, but we had, uh, and you and I live close to each other. Um, but I, I drove all the way up to North Conway, uh, to go on vacation. We rented this nice ski lodge and everything else. And it was the middle of the summer. We went to Storyland. You've probably been there too. Um, but I drive like three hours to get up there and I open up the back of the car and my luggage isn't there. It's sitting on my bed three hours away. (laughs) Wow. So of course now I had to go shopping. (laughs) Yep. That's rough. But that's, that's what this stuff does to you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And that's burnout, right? That's, I imagine not being a neurotypical person. I imagine that for folks who are neurotypical, the early stages of burnout probably feel a lot like having ADHD. And then as it gets worse, you kind of lose even more executive functions. And for ADHD folks, the early stages of burnout are probably really rough. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And and to be clear, I, this the, the overcoming burnout is not a book specifically about ADHD. There are a couple people in there that did talk about their ADHD, but I'm a firm believer and certainly not research backed, but maybe more personal experience and and talking to other people that I think those with ADHD probably get to burn out a little quicker mm-hmm. than, uh, than, than uh, our friends that, uh, that don't have ADHD. I, I, and I think that probably comes down to executive functions and all the other things that, that, uh, that we need to work on. But I think, I think we do get to burn out quicker. You mentioned the title, so I'm just going to ask, how do we overcome burnout? In the beginning of the book, I have a number of, of things that I ask people to, to go through, basically called six things to do this week. Uh, but the first one is just talk to somebody. You know, it could be your spouse, a loved one, whomever the, that you trust. But I think you've got to at least, burnout is an epidemic and it's a silent epidemic because nobody talks about it. Um, and and the evidence, quite frankly, is in like a lot of my social media posts, like, oh, like two people like that thing, because I don't think people want to talk about it, you know, so and they certainly don't want to like something that talks about burnout. So I, I mean, that's just my assumption. But you got to you got to talk to somebody about it. Um, this, the, the second thing um, 
and this is an ADHD thing in general is, is, you know, you need to go to the gym or you just need to get out and take a walk or you need to start something. Um, there's, there's a person in the book, uh, from the UK who said that, that burnout recovery starts with the body. And when you can start to repair the body, the mind will, will be in better shape to actually do the work. Um, and, and I'm a firm believer of, of that as well. Um, I even break that physical activity down because I think there's there's different benefits to going to the gym than taking a walk. Um, and my rule of thumb is if you're going to go on a walk, no headphones, you know, no podcasts, no music, no nothing. If you're in the gym, put on your favorite playlist and, you know, and, and get in the zone. My, um, my walk regimen, and it's been a game changer for me. Um, my my I reconnected with my old freshman year roommate from UMass, who is now a physical trainer. He's got me walking in the woods. So first I'm getting into nature. I do listen to my headphones, but I'll tell you why in a second. And he's got me wearing work gloves. So he was like, this is what you do. You go buy work gloves and then you can grab and hold on and hang out on anything and exercise while you walk. Right. So I'll go for a walk and there's like an old tree stump that I punch like because I'm a Kempo practitioner and I'm doing martial arts on it. I'll do forms. I'll drop down and do push-ups. And I don't care because I'm wearing work gloves. There aren't any branches that are good for doing pull-ups on in this particular place that I'm walking. So I don't do that. But it lets me move more, right? Like there's a bunch of rocks that are sort of like car barriers that I jump from rock to rock, which is better than squats. But if I don't have it in me to jump the rocks, I just do squats. And it it gets me sweating really good by the time I'm done. And my music is part of my logic. I listen to music that energizes me and gets me going because I do it in the morning. So that way I'm walking faster than I might otherwise because the music is kind of pushing me on and helps me get balanced. But I totally understand if you're going for a walk that's intended to decompress, music doesn't need to be there. I've been able to sort out many things just taking taking a walk with, with no interference, so to speak. Um, I actually wrote the entire introduction to this book after taking probably a 90 minute walk. The whole book was written. I needed to write the introduction. I was stuck. I hopped in the car, went down to what we call the rail trail here and walked for an hour and a half. And I came back and I wrote the entire introduction to the book in one sitting. Wow. It literally opens the pathways to your brain. It allows you to think more clearly. It allows you to get more into flow. And if you've got a lot of things to sort out, such as burnout, which can basically clutter your mind. You're thinking all types of things when you're burned out. You you need that space to to be able to do it. But if you're going to go in for a hard workout in the gym, yeah, I, I recommend people you know hop on Spotify, build a playlist that just gets you gets you moving. And that mind wandering mode that you're talking about, a very early episode of the podcast called Nutrient Rich Boredom we do a deep dive on mind wandering and why it's so important. There's a mountain of evidence. All you need to do is hop on Google. Yep. Look for the evidence, the scientific reasons behind the walking and the clearing the head and all that. The other thing, and this might be tough for some people with ADD, but I say just take a break and sit still for 30 minutes. And I've got a little bit of pushback from this. So, you know, But if it's 10 minutes, if it's 15 minutes, if it's what have you, I've told this story before, but I used to belong to a networking group. We met in Boston and I would have to meet in post office square. There's that big parking garage in the ground, like in the middle of post office square. And I would drive to the bottom floor early 
and I would sit in my car for like a half hour because aside from a car door opening and closing every now and then, it is so quiet in there. It's dead silence. Go ahead and call me nuts, but try it sometimes <laughs> because, because it actually is an awesome feeling. It is super relaxing. Connected to that, right? My one, my other kid, I guess, we've started to notice and realize he's got some sensory processing stuff going on, especially auditorily. Mm. I bought him noise-canceling headphones three weeks ago, maybe. And we're in Best Buy and just kind of checking stuff out. He puts the noise-canceling headphones on. I've never seen a bigger, more genuine smile on his face than the moment those headphones went in his head. Yeah. No music coming out of them. They just made it quiet. And I think it, for him, it was the first time things had been quiet. It's made everything easier for him. He wears them all the time. A couple other quick things, and this is obviously a buzzword within our community in the ADHD world, but I never equated poor time management with burnout until I really analyzed my time management now I'm relentless about it and meticulous about making sure that I schedule things properly. I schedule days that I can get work done. Some people don't like back-to-back -back meetings in the ADHD world, but I love them because I get them out of the way all at once. And then I've got other days free to, to be able to do deep work. But the worse your time management is, the, the more apt to suffering burnout. I, I got schooled writing this book too. And I've always been really good with time management, but I didn't realize how, how I could be more methodical about it. Also, if you take COVID, for example, you know, you and I talked about parents and kids and school at the dining room table. You got to get work done when you get work done. So sometimes time management is just a dumpster fire. So <laughs> I'm just now getting back to where I have control over my time. I hear you. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that us ADHDs need to do is we need to get good at saying no. We're very good at people pleasing. We say yes. We don't like to say no. And I tell people, if you're just starting your road to recovery, test your no. Say no to one thing. Test, test it with something small, you know, not like some huge ask from your boss where <laughs> it might backfire. But if you can test little no's here and there to see if, you know, you, you have the ability to do so, then yeah, that's one. My biggest aha moment for saying no to stuff. I was listening to a podcast. I don't even remember who said it, but they said, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to everything else. And it reframes that yes, right? Because we want to say yes. But if we think of the yes as this is me saying no to all the other things, it gets easier to guard your yes, right? And, and that's, that's a Renee Brooks phrase, guard your yes. She's got a book about it podcast episode from a while back with Renee on talking about guarding your yes. But but like you're saying, that's the thing we ADHD folks have to do is we've got to be more protective of our yeses and be more liberal with our nos. Or if the no is uncomfortable, say, can I get back to you on that? Let me think about it. Let me check my calendar. Let me talk to my wife, my husband, my kids, and let me check with my boss, my partner. Like kick the yes down the road if you can't say no. Exactly. I have chapters in there about boundaries and values because mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of us are, are, are not very good at setting boundaries. And one thing, and I mentioned earlier that I got schooled in writing this book by several people, but what I really never understood was what we would call the misalignment of values, where I may be doing work 
that I don't necessarily agree with. So for example, if if you're working for a company, and I know I know a lot of people in the ADHD world actually do have values. They might not have written them down, but you know, they're very values-based, a lot of them. And if you're working for a company that you don't really agree with the mission or the purpose or the product or the service, you're gonna burn out because you are going against your own values. So it was important for me to go through that lesson as well. You know, something as simple as uh, the type of clients I choose to work with. In the midst of this, I had clients that were out 90 days in my marketing business. You know, and I would always say, that's okay, you know, stuff happens. When in actuality, I was so angry inside, but I was just BSing my way through that conversation because I didn't, I didn't want to make them angry instead of just putting my foot down and say, you know what, work stops until you pay me. That's a simple value. But time over time over time of clients being late and you saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, that's going to burn you out. So we need to really understand our values. So there's so much more to it. And like I said, it's so complex. But I think one thing people should really understand, which is a huge warning sign, a healthcare executive I interviewed who actually had a heart attack and ended up on the operating room table. He said, when you stop doing the things you love, that is a clear sign of burnout. Because you're not prioritizing things correctly or because you're so burned out that you're not interested in the things you love anymore? He's just not interested. This guy actually had... um season tickets to professional baseball. He had a box. He had free food. He had a parking space. And he stopped going because he was so burned out. All he had to do was show up. And he didn't even do that. I found myself, I hate to admit this, I put this in the book, but I used to love talking to neighbors like over the fence and stuff. You know, sometimes I'd be out in the yard, maybe mowing the lawn and a neighbor would come out. And I literally stopped the lawnmower and walk away because I didn't have the mental capacity to have a conversation with them. That should be a red flag for people. And that's only going to worsen the burnout, right? Because you're not doing the stuff that you enjoy. You're also not talking to somebody. Although I'm sure you mean like clinically, go get a clinician, but also talk to people, have social bonds and social connections and that kind of stuff too. If you're not talking to people because you're so burned out that you can't handle doing it, that's that's a bad sign. Yeah. And you know, it was funny. I was going to get, you know, your traditional blood work you get, you know, that your doctor prescribes all the all the typical cholesterol and all that stuff. So I go to the lab in the morning, which I hate, by the way. I hate not eating before I go to the house. That's a whole nother podcast. But <laughs> fasting, I can't do it. So it just throws me off the whole day. So I go there and the woman comes out and calls my name and, and she's miserable. You know, I'm trying to joke with her a little bit and she's still miserable. And, and you know, I finally realized this woman's either having a bad day or she's just burned out. She's in healthcare, so she's probably burned out. And then I just started, I just continued to kind of make jokes about myself. Like um, when my son was born, I basically hit the floor, you know, and I said, you better look out and you stick that needle in me because I'm probably going to drop like a stone, you know? And she started laughing. And I realized, you know what? If we can find the energy to make somebody else laugh or to recognize somebody else that's burned out, I think we can selfishly help ourselves through the process. So you, you bring up a good point. We, we got to get out there and just talk to people, whether it's your neighbor, go out for beer with a friend, talk to the woman at the lab, what have you. My sensei offered to help because I, I was supposed to test for my black belt in June and couldn't. I just came up to him one day and I was like, I can't, like, I'm not going to be there. It was way before June. It was like two months before. I was like, There's, I'm not, I'm not going to be where I need to be to test. Like, I just, things are too bananas right now or too intense. And he was like, okay, cool. And then he's been super supportive 
through all the stuff that's been going on because he knows my kids. He knows what's what's been going on in detail. And one of the things that I found that was really hard for me was accepting that help, was being able to say, yeah, thank you, please. I do need that. And that that was a combination of my burnout. And also, audience, you might be surprised by this, but in my head, I'm the helper. So it's hard for me to take help because that's my job. My job is to help everybody until I don't have anything I left to help with. Yeah, And that's not a good plan. That leads to burnout. A lot of help is burnout. Which is tricky because a lot of us helpers, we get renewed by helping, right? So we, we're renewed and we're renewed and we're renewed. And at some point we go beyond that and we're starting to be reduced. And we have to know when we hit that pivot point. Yeah. That said, just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Just adhere to the warning signs. Don't let it get uh, out of control. Like we, we've just mentioned, talk to somebody. Don't let it be your silent epidemic. The consequences can be more severe than you think. You know, it's more than just physical and mental exhaustion. I've got people in this book who had heart attacks, miscarriages, significant digestive issues that the best hospitals in the world couldn't figure out, and they were all a result of burnout. So if you feel you're burned out, talk to somebody. If you've got physical symptoms, obviously go to the doctor because it could be something else. But don't ignore the red flags because it, it, uh, it could be deadly. And I hate to put it that way, and I hate to scare people, and I didn't write the book to scare people, but oh, we need to wake up to burnout. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.